And if you have kids, they are dismissed to our children's ministry. And if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis 42 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, We have been talking for a while through the story of a man in the Old Testament named Joseph. And Joseph has one of the longest stories in the Old Testament. Um, It's in the story of Genesis, so it's one of the earliest stories throughout the entire Bible. Joseph's story is about 12 or 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. The creation story is two chapters. Um, The story of Noah is four chapters so you have this long story at the end of the first book of the Bible about a man who goes through lots of different crises in his life. And this is what we've been talking about. Uh, Joseph starts out as a young boy who has lots of brothers, and he has a dream that his brothers will bow down to him one day. And he tells his brothers that dream, And, surprise, they don't like that. So they plan to get rid of him, and they sell him into slavery. And so he's taken off to Egypt, a foreign country, where he doesn't know anybody, where he does not speak the language. But out of that low point in his life, Joseph becomes a servant in a very powerful man named Potiphar. And he runs Potiphar's house and does it well until Potiphar's wife tells a lie about Joseph and he gets put into prison. So imagine the up and down of Joseph's life. And last week we talked about Joseph sitting in prison and his journey has been a lonely one. Because he keeps going into these places where all he has, not family, not friends, but the only thing he has to rely on is God himself. He's the only person he can trust. And today we're going to continue that story because although Joseph's life is one of continual crisis, we see that he continues to trust God with his life in the middle of all this crisis. Joseph, after he's in prison, and this is to get us to the point where we're going to talk about this part of the story today. Joseph, after he's in prison, ends up meeting people who were in the Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt. They were in his court. And he helps them figure out what different dreams mean. And then Pharaoh has a dream. And so he gets called upon because he's helped these other guys out with their dream. And because he's so good at telling Pharaoh what his dreams mean, he gets put into the same position he was a couple weeks ago when we talked about Potiphar and how he was in that role in Potiphar's house. Joseph has the same job, but this time it's for the entire kingdom of Egypt. 
this powerful, huge dynasty, and this is where Joseph is. He has become basically the second in command over an entire kingdom. And this is where we find Joseph. And you would think that at this point of the story, that the crisis part of Joseph's story is behind him, and that it's over. But as we're going to see today, the things he, have, he has to deal with are so painful and difficult that he still finds himself wrapped up in what we're going to call an, an emotional crisis. And so we're going to read a lot of verses this morning. We're going to read about 30 verses, but we're going to stop along the way. And we got a lot to get to, but um, one of the things that I find as I, I'm rereading this story is that there's something very powerful about the story of Joseph because this story was written so long ago it still for some reason speaks to us um, I have a lot of conversations with people who are skeptical of the Christian faith or who don't believe in God at all. And one of the things that comes up pretty regularly is this topic of the Bible. And, and how can a, a book that was written so long ago, when the people who wrote it didn't even know gravity existed, how can, this, how can we trust this book? And I think the story we're going to read today speaks to us on a very personal level. Because we may not know what it's like to be in prison, and we may not know what it's like to be sold into slavery by our family, but the things Joseph experiences are things that we are going to relate to. <laughs> They're going to be things that we know what it's like to feel how he feels in this moment. And... Um, I'm going to pray over this scripture before we do it. So I'm going to ask if you would bow with me. Uh, Father, we believe the stories in, that we're about to read are so powerful. And so we pray that the words that we read will uncover and reveal a new truth for us today. So as we deal with our own crises and our only in our own lives, we pray that what Joseph experiences will speak to us as well. In Jesus name. Amen. The first 17 verses of Genesis 42. When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise we'll die. So Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them, for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food. For the famine was in Canaan as well. 
Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied. We have come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. He said to them, You are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We are not spies. Yes, you are, Joseph insisted. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now, and one of our brothers is no longer with us. But Joseph insisted, as I said, you are spies. This is how I will test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother, and I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you don't have a younger brother, then I'll know your spies. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. All right, so there's a lot going on here. Joseph's brothers live in a land far away, and there is a famine that has gone through the whole region. So food is scarce, and Jacob, who is Joseph's father, sends the brothers to Egypt with sackfuls of silver to buy food, to buy grain from the stores in Egypt, the storehouses in Egypt that they have saved up because Joseph predicted this famine would come. And so when they go to buy food, they have to go to Joseph himself. And there's, we read this and we say, how do these brothers not recognize Joseph? Well, they sold him into slavery when he was young. He's grown up. He's older now. And he doesn't speak Hebrew anymore. He, he does. He still remembers it, but he has to speak Egyptian because that's where he lives. And if they're coming to him and he's part of the court, he's probably dressed very nicely like royalty. And a lot of uh, Egyptian leaders wore different types of makeup to change the way their face looked. So, so he, he recognizes them but because he's older and he's gone through this change in his life, he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And they come to him and they say, hey, we want to buy food. And this happens to Joseph all the time because there's a famine and he's in charge of giving food and selling food to all these people from all these different areas. But but when he sees his, brother, his brothers, something goes off in him, and he becomes angry. And he starts calling them spies. 
Now, Joseph knows they're not spies, and he knows that they probably were sent there by their father to buy food. But he can't help himself. He wants so badly for them to feel some sort of pain. He's, you can tell he's angry, and it makes sense that he would be angry because he's been a slave because of his brothers. He's been in prison because of his brothers. He's been living in this entire other land where he has not been free, and it all goes back to his brothers. And remember, this starts with Joseph having a dream about his brothers bowing down to him. And when it finally happens, he's so furious that he just starts calling them spies. And he tells them that you're going to be in prison. I'm going to hold you in jail until you bring your other brother back with me, with, with you guys. And it doesn't really make sense. It, what he's asking them doesn't make sense. And you can tell that there's this emotional outburst that he has because of what has gone on. And it makes sense. I mean, if you're looking in the eyes of the people who have taken away your freedom, there's a part of you that probably wants them to suffer. And look, we, we've probably never been in that situation where we've been sold into slavery or put in prison because of what our family has done to, them, uh, uh, to us. But we know what it's like to be angry at somebody and to be so angry that we just want them to suffer. We feel this way with people we don't know, politicians and celebrities and criminals that we hear about in the news. We get angry and we want something bad to happen to them. And we also want this to happen with people who have wronged us in our past. If we're honest, there are people either we know or we don't know where when we think about them, we want them to suffer in some way. We want them to feel the pain that they have caused others. It's a very natural human reaction. Joseph's emotional outburst of anger gets the best of him. And he's not alone. This happens to all of us. But the story doesn't end there. Joseph doesn't just become angry. There's more to it than that. So let's go to verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I'm a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. If you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families, but you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This will prove that you are telling the truth and you will not die. To this they agreed. Speaking among themselves, they said, Clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. 
We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben asked, but you wouldn't listen. And now we have to answer for his blood. Of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them, for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. And now he turned away from them and began to weep. When he regained regained his composure, he spoke to them again. And then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. Uh, Joseph first gets angry. And he throws him in prison. And three days later, you can tell he's starting to calm down a little bit. He, he says, okay, instead of all of you in prison, here's what I'll do. I'll just hold one of you in prison, and the rest of you I want to go get your brothers, your brother, and then bring him back. And so he's calming down a little bit. He's not just controlled by his anger. But as his brothers start to talk about what's going on, they're they're speaking in Hebrew. And they don't know that Joseph speaks Hebrew Hebrew because they don't know it's Joseph. And so he's listening to all of this. The arguing and the bickering. And one brother says, this is all our fault. All this bad stuff is happening to us because of what we did to our brother long ago. Not even knowing that the brother that they're talking about is in the room with them. And you would think that Joseph is, would be kind of pleased, right? Because he's getting his revenge. They are all tied up emotionally because they are paying the consequences for what they've done. And he's making sure that he's getting his revenge. And they're arguing and they're worried and they're stressed. And you would think that Joseph would go, aha, I got you. But it says that when Joseph hears all this and understands it, that he goes into a room and just breaks down and cries. So he gets his revenge, but the revenge doesn't feel good at all to Joseph. Joseph gets angry, which is a, which is a response that's understandable. But he also is overcome by sadness, which is also an emotional response that we would understand. So Joseph, who is put in this position... Because he's able to make logical, rational decisions that that aren't tied to emotion is now overcome by his emotions. I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm frustrated, and I'm looking the people who betrayed me in the face and I'm not quite sure how to act. And and this this is probably common for us too. A lot of times when we get angry with people for what they've done, there's a sadness attached to it as well. Because if somebody has betrayed us, there's not only anger at them, but we're, we're sad because we're mourning 
what used to be, what that relationship used to be, or what it could have been. And those things aren't anger and sadness a lot of times, especially when they're at people, are are tied up together a lot of times. And it's just complicated. This is a complicated situation for Joseph. And he's, he's trying to get revenge or justice in some way, but he's also overcome with a love and, an, and a care for his brothers and for his father. And he doesn't really know how to act. So this is really an emotional crisis for Joseph. He has a hard time making rational decisions because he's overwhelmed by how he feels. And I know this story is thousands of years old, but I can't think of a story that resonates more deeply with me than the fact that I sometimes have have trouble making the right and wise decision because I'm overcome by emotion. And, and they're justified emotions. It's okay for him to be angry. It's, it makes sense that he would be sad. It's not like he's being unreasonable. But he still has to, to operate in the world as someone who's experiencing all these emotions. And if we've learned anything about the story of Joseph so far... It's that Joseph has been faithful to God in every circumstance. When he was in charge of Potiphar's household, he was faithful to God, faithful to Potiphar, faithful to Potiphar's wife. But when he was in prison, at his lowest point, he was still faithful to God and faithful to the people that he was close to. And now in this this new role, as someone who's in charge of a lot of things in Egypt, he's still trying to be faithful to God. And there's this tension that you, that you feel with Joseph, that he's going through this emotional crisis, but he's trying to be faithful to his brothers. He's trying to be faithful to the position that he's in, and he's trying to be faithful to God. And how does he do that? How do I do this? When all of this stuff has come on top of me. And I'm going to read four more verses, starting in verse 25. Joseph then ordered his servants to fill the men's sacks with grain. But he also gave secret instructions to return each brother's payment at the top of his sack. He also gave them supplies for their journey home. So the brothers loaded their donkeys with the grain... And headed for home. But when they stopped for the night, and one of them opened his sack to get grain for his donkey, he found his money in the top of his sack. Look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money has been returned. It's here in my sack. Then their hearts sank, and trembling, they said to each each other, what has God done to us? That's not the end of the story, but that's where we're going to stop today. Um, Daniel is going to finish the rest of this story next week. But I want us to, 
to note how Joseph responds in a time that is overwhelmingly emotional for him is that he is still good and faithful to his brothers because he gives his brothers food and gives them their money back as well. He is generous and kind and loyal and faithful even to people who have been unfaithful to him. And this is how he remains faithful to God. Yes, he's still angry at his brothers. Yes, he's still emotional and overcome with sadness and grief. But instead of getting full revenge, or instead of being so overwhelmed with sadness that he doesn't do anything, he gives his brothers back the money they bought. And I think there's something very powerful about if we are a people who are trying to be faithful to God, and if we are going to be a people who trust Jesus with our life, then in the middle of difficult circumstances that cause us to be overwhelmed emotionally, the call is still to be generous. The call is still to be faithful. The call is still to live as God would live in the world. And that's hard to do. Because sometimes our anger overwhelms us to where we want what's bad for someone else. Or we are so sad and so grieved that we can't hardly get out of bed and do anything about the situation. And Joseph has those emotions, but he's still faithful to God in the middle of those emotions. Um, there's this, this guy, he's written a couple books, and his name is Bob Goff. And he's, uh, t- he travels around and speaks, and um, he's like generally regarded by everybody who knows him as the happiest man who's ever lived. <laughs> um, but he's an attorney as well. And he, uh, in his last book, he writes about Um, his time in Uganda. And so he's uh, a special ambassador to to Uganda, and part of the reason he has that role is because in his travels to Uganda, he, with his law background, decided to start prosecuting witch doctors who had abused and mutilated young children in Uganda as part of these ancient tribal ceremonies. And this is the first time it's ever been done in Uganda because their legal system is a little bit behind ours. And so he has all these tragic stories. But in his last book, he tells the story of the first time he ever successfully prosecuted a witch doctor for abusing a young boy. And... Uh, not to get too graphic, but the young boy was so, so abused and mutilated that uh, doctors said that he probably would never be able to father children, and his life would, he would never have a, a normal life. Um, at least at first, that's what they thought. 
But they successfully prosecuted the witch doctor who did all this damage and put him in prison for the rest of his life in Uganda. And through all of that entire situation, he got to know the young boy. Um, And he actually connected the young boy in Uganda with doctors in the U.S. who were able um, to uh, repair a lot of the like mutilations and abuse that the kid had suffered. Um, and pretty much set the boy on a track to have a normal life again. And as he gets to know the story of this young boy, he says he's overwhelmed with anger at a man who would do that to someone who's so young. And he's overwhelmed with grief at what this boy had to experience at such a young age. And he was glad that he had done what he had done. And he's glad that he successfully prosecuted this witch doctor. But a little while after, he started to feel this conviction. And he felt like God was telling him, and he said no to it for a long time. But God kept telling him over and over, that witch doctor that's in jail... He deserves to know about the love of Christ in the same way that anybody else does. Bob, I want you to go visit this witch doctor and talk to him over and over about the love of Christ. And so um, he tries to bring books to read to this guy uh, in a a tribal language um, that not a lot of people speak. And the only book that's been translated is uh, like one children's book and the Bible. So he goes and he starts reading all these passages of Scripture to this guy who he put in jail and who did all these atrocious things. Um, And the guy comes to faith. And the guy becomes friends with Bob. And and I'm I'm reading that story, and, and I'm overcome with emotion. Because when I think about what it's like to be angry at injustice in the world, but also to be faithful to God, I think that's a picture of it. And I think that's the life that God calls us to as Jesus followers. Is it's okay for us to be angry at injustice in the world? And it's even okay for us to be angry when we have been wronged. And it's okay for us to mourn and grieve and cry. But when Joseph regained his composure, he spoke to his brothers again. And he gave them their silver back. And at the end of the day... This is what it looks like to be faithful to God. Yes, we can grieve. Yes, we can be angry. But we got to keep moving forward. Um, Because the only way these injustices are going to be made right is if people who follow Jesus stand in the gap and point to a better way of living. And that is a hard thing to do, but it is our calling. Um, You know, 
One of the things we say all the time here at SOMA is we know that we live in a divided world. That oftentimes, no matter what we're yelling about, we sense that there's this injustice in the world. I think all of us can agree that we look at the world and say something's wrong with the world and the way it operates. And we, we want to be a picture of redemption because we, we want to look and acknowledge that injustice exists. We want to look and acknowledge that sin exists, both in people we don't know and in people that we do know, and even in our own lives. And we say, even though all of this bad stuff happens in the world, we are going to be faithful to God and move forward and point to a better way. And I know that there's a lot of us that want to keep going in the story and see what else happens to Joseph, but I think if there's one lesson we can take away this morning is that God calls us to be faithful, even in the middle of an emotional crisis that we cannot explain. That's the challenge. Let's pray. God, we uh, come to you and we, we pray that you would um, give us the courage to be agents of change in our world. Um, that we would not be controlled by grief that we would not be controlled by anger. That even when it's okay for us to feel those things, that we would that we would continue to move forward um, for change. God, we we want to be a picture of redemption in, in the world. And so give us courage and give us the ability to walk forward and, um, and point to a better way. In Jesus' name, amen.